0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and, in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco.
1: All right, everybody. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. Here in New York, it is my pleasure to be back with you. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Productions here in New York in Times Square. We have a bunch of topics today. We're going to talk to the panel for the full hour. We're going to talk about the neighborhood in Tribeca. That's always quite the buzz. Uh, The second topic is vacancy decontrol, and how is that affecting the city overall? Social media and listings with sellers, what their new expectations are. Changes to the mansion tax from our our governor and from our mayor. Uh, Some buzz and controversy about Washington Square Park down in the village rental scams and some renovations or tips on renovations because that's always an issue here in New York when you need to renovate an apartment that you just purchased. But anyway, some news items first. The Safra's notoriously secretive Brazilian billionaire family uh, in banking have listed three modernized, gilded-age townhouses on the market for $120 million on East 62nd Street. Several sources have walked through the properties and told the New York Post that it's beautiful, but they've been quietly marketing the townhouses as off-market pocket listings for more than a year. They are super freaked out about privacy, uh, and they don't want to do it with an, with an agent. Isn't that something? Uber, here's one. Uber has been forced to quit operating in East Hampton. The ride-hailing app has been trying to reach a compromise with town officials who recently enacted a mandate that requires all taxi drivers to have a physical address in the town. Uber has been operating in the Hamptons since 2012. According to 27 East, uh, an an online news magazine source out there, the new mandate applies only to users calling an Uber within the East Hampton city limits. People can still hail an Uber from another city and be driven to East Hampton. Isn't that something? Before the High Line became the it pedestrian promenade, there was a high bridge, the city's oldest bridge. Now, after more than 40 years of being closed to the public, the bridge which connects Washington Heights to Manhattan – Uh, In Manhattan to High Bridge in the Bronx will finally reopen next week. Originally opening in 1848, the High Bridge was an aqueduct that brought water to what is now the Bronx. Back then, Westchester County, it was closed decades ago to the general public, although it was still open for tours by New York City park rangers until the late 1990s when it was closed completely due to safety concerns. It was now or never. Remember that song? Rock star John Bon Jovi has sold his penthouse at 158 Mercer Street for $34 million, according to property records filed with the city on Friday last week. The Austrian-American businessman Gerard Andlinger is the buyer of Bon Jovi's pad, as previously reported by the Real Deal. Did any of us sell that place, please? No? Mm
0: -hmm. They went into contact
1: in March. Bon Jovi bought the pad in 2007 for $24 million. There you go. $10 million profit for Bon Jovi. The iconic Carlisle Hotel on the Upper East Side of Manhattan is putting dozens of luxury hotel suites up for rent for the first time with prices ranging from $12,750 per month for a one-bedroom studio to $150,000 for a four-bedroom suite. The hotel at 35E76th Street is banking on its prestigious history to market their rental units. The Carlisle has housed everyone from President John F. Kennedy to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge to current guests George and Amal Clooney, while Woody Allen still frequently plays the clarinet with his jazz band at the hotel's Café Carlisle. Uh, Warburg Realty here in New York is exclusively marketing the rentals. The race to the sky has kicked into high gear in midtown Manhattan where a new round of luxury skyscrapers aimed at multimillionaires is on the rise in and around West 57th Street. If all goes according to the developers' plans and the market cooperates, the towers will climb to new heights in just a few years, setting price records, casting long shadows over Central Park – we've talked about that before in this program – and significantly altering the city's skyline. All this has been a big debate in Manhattan. So – there you have the news this morning. I'm sitting here with my panel. I have Perul Brombat, Nao Lundgren, uh, Rachel Altshuler and Phil Horgan, and special guest today. Um, uh, who is she? Denise Rosner from <laughs> Keller Williams in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good morning. Welcome, Good Denise. Morning.
2: Welcome, Denise. Thank Welcome Denise. Welcome
1: to New York, Denise.
3: Um, so how is everybody today? Doing all right? We were just talking about the weather like always. I think that's a hot topic. Why is it every Tuesday we have uh, rain in our forecast? Rain. I don't get that. Rachel was out yesterday with a the, with the buyer running around and it uh, didn't turn out so well. So you know,
2: everyone's <laughs> Everyone's going to cancel their appointments today. Yeah. I have a feeling. <laughs> I
3: feel it. You can't see the views. There's nothing to look at. I don't know why at. rain scares
2: buyers. <laughs> it shouldn't. Well, yeah, but- you know what
4: though? Like we were talking about last week, uh, rain does turn our appointment schedule into a nightmare right because everybody's running late nobody can find a cab sloshing up and down the steps on subways with our clients isn't the best but guess
2: what if you love it in the rain you'll
4: love it i was
1: just gonna say that that is true i just told that to somebody over the weekend that is awesome well (laughs) wait but rain or cloudy days right because if you're gonna like it then and you have no issues with the uh, with the property then you are certainly not going to have any issues when it's bright and sunny out that is it's just messy to walk around how was the week in open houses? I ask this every week because I, I filled in for um, one of my agents uh, at a $3.9 million loft in Chelsea and I only had two people. And I was very surprised at that. Very surprised. I mean it was a beautiful day. People running all over the place but I only had two people.
2: I think this is the time of year where everyone has better luck during the week for open houses. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and I think Sundays are real buyers mm-hmm. – so you might have fewer, but they're serious. What are you real. suggesting
1: for the buyers and sellers out there? So Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night? What's Tuesday, the best?
2: Wednesday, Thursday night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Tuesday, okay. Wednesday, Thursday night. Yeah. Okay. I like so to
2: people- do one on Tuesday and one on Thursday.
4: And I think it's more appointment-driven right now. And I think, again, it, the conversation goes back to weather. It's mm. when we're having such cloudy weekdays – and then Sunday looks beautiful. The last thing people want to do is spend their day looking for an apartment
5: i was uh, I was showing apartments around eight hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and the open houses were not that crowded but we liked an apartment and guess how many offers there were? There were five offers over ask on it. So mm-hmm. yeah. even though even yeah. though there wasn't a
1: lot of people at the open house,
4: yeah,
5: the market's you still strong. You know? mm-hmm.
1: Bill, so. tell the listening audience out there around the world, what does an eight hundred thousand dollar apartment get you? Here? <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you a nice studio. Now, uh, <laughs> These
2: these
1: these were a larger
5: uh, I won't even say large, I would say a nice one bedroom condos. Nice size um, one bedroom condos. And not even depending on where you are. I mean, we were mm-hmm. we were north of hundredth street. Oh, so right. we were looking really we were looking on 116th, 119th, yeah, and we were getting like a decent sized one bedroom condo.
1: And we're not talking a junior 4, we're talking a decent a size decent condo. size, right. Okay. Which means like a 700ish.
5: <laughs> over,
3: yeah, over know. 100th street. Yeah, I, north I, of 100th street. I recently just made a I recently made a bid with a buyer for uh, around 800,000 in a co-op, so uh, below 100th street. Uh, in Lincoln Center. Congrats. Yeah, exactly. In Lincoln Center, um, very high floors with uh, sweeping views. It was on like the 34th floor. Um, 12 offers. We had a best and highest, and uh, there was 12 offers on the property, and we came in third, so we lost the bid. But And we, we bid 85000 above ask. came in third? Isn't came in third. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that third. amazing? I'm so yeah.
4: curious as to how, how this feels like for you, listening to uh, – listening to what's going on in the New York market
6: well it does it really it doesn't surprise me at all I mean having been a, a broker in New York for um, 13 years I mean certainly I've seen my share of it here and we have really the same kind of thing going on in the Los Angeles market as well do. absolutely properties that show well that are priced sharply we're seeing multiple offers and going over asking price wow.
4: and are there certain neighborhoods that are just on fire over others? Because it's such a different market there, right? I mean, everything's so spread apart.
6: It's a very different market. I'm finding that some of the hot areas there are um, the Beverly Center Grove areas, Hancock Park, Mm -hmm. Silver Lake, Los Feliz, in the hills. Nice. And then, of course, always... Beverly Hills and West LA in general are just always on fire.
1: Is Malibu hot these days? I mean, we're getting off topic a little bit, but is Malibu hot? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) three thousand miles off topic. (laughs) But I just love Malibu, and you know, with all the recent news about um, uh, certain people who live out there, it's just it always intrigues me, and I wonder, you know, are prices really crazy in Malibu? They
6: they can be. Malibu is a very unique um, niche market, yeah, and uh, yeah, properties there go for quite a bit.
1: All right. I just want to remind everybody that we are a very interactive show. So if you want to talk to any of my star panelists here or myself, you can call in with questions at 866-472-5788. They'd be happy to take your calls. Or you can email us at vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. Or you can tweet me at Vince at Vince Rocco. All right, so let's get to some of our topics. Vacancy decontrol could cost the city roughly 100,000 affordable apartments. Most of the rent-regulated mm-hmm. apartments likely to be impacted are in the city's most most expensive areas such as Tribeca much to the chagrin of affordable housing advocates, this according to the New York Daily News. Some rents could raise to uh, $4,000 a month. The Upper West Side and Chelsea could lose almost half their regulated apartments, again, according to the Daily News. Let's explain to the listening audience around the world who is not that uh, familiar with New York City, what are the rent rules and laws like in New York City?
5: Uh, I'll, I'll start. It, it can be very complicated. There are attorneys that do this for a living, that they just specialize in dealing with rent-stabilized apartments. Uh, the city at some point decided to make a, a lot of apartments, quote-unquote, affordable housing. Uh, they kind of fall into two camps. There's rent-controlled uh, units and then there's rent-stabilized units. Uh, there are about, I think, 38,000 rent-controlled units and about a million rent-stabilized units. And I'm going to say generally speaking a lot because uh, there are a lot of little caveats to everything. But generally speaking, when someone leaves a a rent-controlled unit, it becomes a rent-stabilized unit. Uh, These units um, are – there's really two two rules in order for something to become, I guess, destabilized if the – and this is, again, generally speaking, if the price goes above $2,500 and also if the tenant makes – above $200,000 for the previous two years. Generally speaking, if, if one of those two things are true, then the apartment could come off uh, destabilization.
3: These apartments are usually substantially below market value. Yeah, and there's one more thing too just to add on to that. So <clears> if an uh, if apartment is stabilized or controlled and a landlord purchases the building and then uh, renovates that apartment, um, MCI, Major Capital Improvements, if they spend a certain amount of money um, there's a there's a, a basically like a, a formula. If you if you spend a certain amount of money um, on the apartment, then it'll allow that apartment. For example, that's this is hypothetical. That's seven hundred dollars a month. You spend a hundred grand on the apartment, and then all of a sudden you can make that jump out of stabilization. Now it's free market, and you could charge three thousand dollars for that apartment. For example, right. I was just say
5: I, that's exactly right. In fact, I have a landlord now, and they own a bunch of rent stabilized units, and they were going for exactly seven hundred dollars a month. And they put substantial capital improvements in the unit and then according to the formula that's provided by the city, they're able to now charge – I think they can get it up to 1800 It's still kind of hard to get it up too high but, uh, but they were able to get it up to 1800 So it's still rent stabilized because it's below the $2,500 cap uh, but now it's much closer to market rate.
3: Yeah. And I think it really depends on layout too. So that, for example, that was probably a studio or a small one bedroom where you got that, that hike from seven to 1800. A lot of these other landlords who their, their basic strategy is to find um, apartments with enough square footage, oversized one bedrooms, for example, that have light and air where they can convert it uh, to be a two bedroom so that they can get that apartment from $700, a big, nice, open, huge, uh, eat in kitchen, one bedroom, Mm -hmm. and then turn it into a two or potentially a three bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Prime location you get recent college grads who have washer dryers, dishwashers in the apartment all of a sudden you know they can get five thousand dollars for an apartment like that and i 've seen it i 've worked with landlords like that and the, one, uh,
5: the only thing i 'll say is the the big advantage of rent stabilized apartments is again generally speaking, the landlord has to offer you a renewal for the unit, and the increase the price increase is also set by the city, and the price increases are very, very low they 're usually somewhere between zero and four percent increase so Uh, A lot of us have friends that have been – and maybe some of us have been in rent-stabilized units for years. Some people just never want to leave them. The increases are so low and you could be paying substantially below market value.
1: Let's hold a thought there, but I do want to continue this conversation. We have to go to break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
0: Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Visit Blue Realty Group.com. That's BLU Realty The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at com. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, we're back, everybody, and we're talking about rent regulations and rules here in New York City, which, of course, are very different from any place else around the world. Uh, they can see decontrol. so Phil, you were finishing up your thought on that. Let me just ask you something so what what about free market apartments? You know How are they increased per per year or per right. end of lease into new lease?
5: Yes, so a free market apartment it 's up to the landlord it 's theoretically whatever they want to charge, of course they 're not going to charge something that 's way above market rate because they won 't get the apartment rented, but theoretically, a market rate apartment. A landlord could charge whatever they want, and that's why when a an apartment is rent stabilized, a landlord is trying to do whatever he or she can to get that off rent stabilization within hopefully legal means, because they want to try to get market value. Uh, for hopefully. The apartment. hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: and that's and that's what you, the question that you ask is: How do they get it? You know, to to free market or what can it do? It's a free market apartment, and in those, you know, I've seen jumps for from forty two hundred to a forty eight hundred dollar uh price for that same apartment because and they can because they can because that's where the market it's is is now me. leading.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because the fact is is that um, especially I think for the listening audience, it's anybody who is. Moving into an apartment, signing a one year lease, if at all possible, protect yourself. You know, have a percent increase per, for the next year and the year after as an option. Like, if I were to renew, then you can only increase it by this amount. Um, negotiate it into your lease for, up front because, um, you know, I mean, I've at one point I, my rent had jumped $650 per month the next time I was signing my lease. And, you know, it was just below where finding movers, you know, even if I have to pay half a broker fee to move to another apartment was going to be more expensive still than me just sucking it up and taking on $650 more per month.
2: I yes. think we also I have see. to point out to the listening audience that we're talking about such a wide range of rentals in the city. We have mm-hmm. condos, we have co ops, yeah, we have rental buildings. And when you're talking about a rent increase, a lot of times our owners say, How much should I increase? They come to us. Yeah. And we usually say three to 5%. That three to 5% covers their fuel, their taxes, their common charges, and the sublet fee that they have to pay in most co ops. Great point. Yeah. And, co- and condos, yeah. yes.
1: The yeah. controversial question, always though, when you're reading articles about this, or just talking to fellow brokers, or even people who live in these these apartments, how does this change the landscape of New York City as a whole when you start losing all these these uh, controlled apartments and uh, people can no longer afford to live in them? What does that do to the the the, the face of New York City? I mean, we, well, I will with-
4: channel my inner Ivy Ray. I was just
1: <laughs> going to say. That. I was thinking about her oh too. Oh my actually.
4: gosh, she <laughs> would totally. Be all-
1: this. She's
3: <laughs> moving right now. I think it's yes. a free market. She's apartment. Moving to the- <laughs> uh, yes,
4: exactly. Uh, which is why she's not here. Today, exactly. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I mean, it, it's just, you know, it, it definitely makes us lose some of the variety that we love in this city. Um, you know, more and more people are getting priced out as a result of that. And, you know, it, I think that, I mean, I think I'm a little more forgiving, not by a lot, but a little more forgiving than Ivy is about that, because I do think that at the end of the day, when we live in a city that is, you know, it's it's such a relatively small area. We're on an island, you know, that I don't think that being pushed out where it's a 25 minute subway ride is necessarily that far out from center, you know. So while the character of the city changes and molds and grows in a way, um, I do think that there's. You know, there's an argument to be had to, to make sure that some of these things are subsidized so like not all the artists. And, you know, like, for instance, like Soho has, you know, artists, re, artists in residence in buildings. Residence, yeah. I think having, you know, those sorts of programs for specific pockets so that we don't lose our culture is important. But some of it is just, you know, as the city grows and changes, you know, it's just the way of life.
1: Certainly, the way of life and certainly grows and changes, and who knows with all these Uber wealthy um, people coming in on the on the sales side, you know something has to give all right let 's move on the new York apartment sell New York apartment sellers are starting to demand more than usual when it comes to marketing. They want assurances that their homes will be showcased on widely followed Instagram feeds. Tech-savvy brokers have long used the photo-sharing social network as lighthearted, modern supplement to more traditional forms of advertising. But in recent months, more clients have started to specifically ask for the social media boost. How do we as brokers feel about that? Because you know what? We talk about change on the rental side and the sales side. Social media is changing our Mm. business or the way we conduct our business. What is this Instagram doing to how we market or sell his apartments.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's here, and it's you know everyone needs to start grappling with the fact that it's <laughs> not really going anywhere. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if you know it may, it's a making or breaking pitches at this point, but it potentially could in the future. And you know at the end of the day, our job is to showcase. Um, our listings and sell them and, and market them to as many people as possible and you know if we have followers that is currency that shows that we have value that people are looking at you know what we're doing on a daily basis if it's personal or what we're doing in the professional world so the more that we're able to, to showcase that collect followers real followers because you can always buy those as well so there's kind of a it's a bit of a tricky
4: well I mean other industries right like for instance like fashion models I mean we were just talking yeah. about this the other day, um, where you know these days, I mean, it used to be you know you you're a pretty girl. they thir- at thirteen. You're five foot eight inches. You go in and talk to Ford model, Elite model, whatever. Now, unless you have a following of, I believe somebody was saying about a hundred and forty thousand followers on Instagram, incredible. You shouldn't even bother. Like, as in, it's there's no point in even going in to say, look at me. Like they immediately say, how many followers do you have? So I think our industry is following suit. Granted, I feel like Vince Vaughn and like, the internship, you know, being like, wait, you know, Facebook, but just for pictures on the line, because I don't even have an Instagram account, (laughs) but I rapidly realized that I need to really have a social media outlet to my business. Well, I'm going to play
1: devil's advocate Mm -hmm. for a minute because I do believe that social media and I use it, you know, for, for my business, but I, I have to ask specifically about Instagram because that's where the concern seems to be. I do have an Instagram account and I find it just really a picture notebook or a picture library and you go see one photo after the next. So why are sellers singling out Instagram over, say, Facebook, where you can add text and you can add, you know, uh, whatever you want to to that picture? Why is it Instagram that is is getting everybody's attention on the seller side? Because I've had sellers in the last probably three or four months say to me, so do you use Instagram? To market my will you use Instagram to market my apartment? And I'm I'm sort of like well okay, what is it about that particular app?
3: Well, Pictures say a thousand words. I think that's really important, right? And when we're marketing properties, people aren't necessarily first thing they do is look at the pictures. They're not reading the you know two Correct. paragraphs that you're writing. But that scares me. Yeah, it does. Oh, that's that's why because you know it pictures can be edited. They could be Photoshopped. There's you know we, we're all in the business. We've been to plenty of listings where mm-hmm. we're like oh this is great, and then we get in there and we're like oh. That was virtually staged. Didn't wasn't me- mentioned in the writing, and it looks terrible. So you know, it, it, it it's just all about the pictures. And if you can capture attention and garner a little bit of interest, I think that that leads to you know going to the listing or checking out your right. company's website. And it's a little bit is- more
2: subtle than Facebook yeah. because it's not so in your face exactly. of like buy this. But you can come off really aggressive. I feel like sometimes yeah. on fa- and I don't also have in Facebook.
4: But- I feel like you, the feed can get lost, whatever. But on Instagram, it's mm-hmm. like the pictures. you can just scroll down and see so much so quickly, you know, on anybody's body. I don't know. I, I guess the question Anybody really
5: is are buyers, are serious buyers really using Instagram as a way to eventually buy an apartment? No. Probably not no. Well that's what I want to know. Right. because so I, I don't believe so. Right. So but I, I kind of think it's an I'm,
1: expectation on the seller side exactly. more than yeah. anything. That's
5: no. where I'm going. I kind of agree with where Vince is going with this. I think it's a first of all, it's a very important tool. You have to have it. But it's probably almost more Something that you can say as a broker that you have this great Instagram presence. Sellers probably think that it's more important than it really is. I've had sellers ask me to do all kinds of crazy marketing things because in their head they just think that, oh, you know, post a sign outside this particular embassy, you know, for this apartment, that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean the truth is like we all know – we know uh, – a serious buyer tends to eventually go through the same kind of funnel, you know? Um, a serious buyer eventually gets on the web. They eventually probably get to an agent. They eventually maybe get to Street Easy. I'm not saying there aren't other ways to do it, but um, I do think some of these things are a little overblown. Like it's, it's I, bigger I in a seller's head. But, you
4: know, at the same time, though, I think it's kind of like a virtual billboard, right? So, I mean, yeah, when Calvin sure. Klein spends God knows how many dollars to have that billboard up there, how many of us are serious Calvin Klein buyers? I mean, I can't remember the last time i bought anything of the brand but it's brand recognition but you can't
1: miss the brand right
4: exactly and yeah it's Mm -hmm. brand brand recognition recognition. but above and beyond that also let's say that there's a bunch of tire kickers that show up because they've just seen beautiful pictures of instagram and people who live in the building have you know have have a tendency to follow you because you do a lot of deals in the in the building all of a sudden see these pictures you're having an open house and there's you know, seven tire kickers in the apartment when the real buyer walks in. Now there just went up the interest of the real buyer because there seems to be apparent competition. So I think that there's something to be said about just drumming up Mm -hmm. interest and likes and whatnot Mm -hmm. to then... So I think that isn't... I think we're not there yet, right. and I do think that our, our sellers are overblown in terms of thinking how important this is. But I think there is a trend that's
6: heading in a way where this is going to be material marketing. Right.
1: Denise, how what does the Los, Los Angeles market feel? How do they how do they deal with this?
6: Well, social media is huge in the Los Angeles market, and I have found that in my experience as a Los Angeles realtor versus a New York realtor. I've had business come directly from social media in Los Angeles in a way that I hadn't experienced in New York. Now, granted, Mm -hmm. I've been in Los Angeles the last four years and social media has Mm -hmm. really come up. But I I was going to say, too, to your point, Vince, about um, sellers and Instagram and why is that the hot thing? I I think it's also perception. And it's a popularity contest right. mm-hmm. and a seller wants to know, you know, that they're with an agent that's out there, that's the most popular, mm-hmm. that has all these followers. And and it's really so ironic because uh, as, you know, you all were saying, it doesn't necessarily <clears throat> mean that it's going to translate into right. the sale of the unit, but it's perception. Completely. And I actually lost a
2: listing. I had sold an apartment to this guy about eight years ago in a new development and he, I saw him on the street. He got engaged. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm giving you the listing. I then see it listed with somebody on a TV show. Won't name names. Oh, oh it's hello. Happened and here. I reached yeah. out and I said, <laughs> you know, very nicely. I said, really? I mean, are you, you went with him because he's on a show or what was the reason? And he went back to what you said, Denise, mm-hmm. which is a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And he did apologize. You know, he doubled his value. Mm-hmm. And he didn't go back to me, which Mm -hmm. I thought was surprising. But I think two important points are, number one, managing your seller's expectations. And when you go to meet these sellers, it's important for them to understand that it comes down to pricing and the broker's reputation. That is so important. Mm
1: -hmm. That's what it's all about. We have to take a break. We will continue this conversation on the other side. Don't go away. (laughs)
0: Visit Blue Realty Group.com. That's BLU Realty Group.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at Realtygroup.com. Now, back to the show.
1: We are back, and we're talking to Perul, Niall, Rachel, and Phil, and our special guest, Denise, from Los Angeles. All right, so here's another one. How do we feel... Um, About this one. Mayor Bill de Blasio's proposed mansion tax could influence home sellers to keep their prices under $1.7 million for fear of discouraging buyers with the tax height above that threshold, according to a new report by the Independent Budget Office. The proposal would tax an additional 1% on purchases over (laughs) $1.75 million and 1.5% on any portion of the price uh, exceeding $5 million. if you have an apartment that you want to price above $1.75 the thinking is now that you don't want to put it over that because buyers are going to complain that they have to pay an additional you know, tax on that. So how is this going to affect rid- the market? It's just
4: ridiculous. I feel like there needs to be like a real estate 101 class for government officials. Like it's just <laughs> like ridiculous. This one
1: yeah. in particular.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean – You know, first of all, if you're going to talk about the mansion tax, then, you know, let's not call something under a million dollars. I mean, right over a million dollars a mansion, first of all, because you can't even buy two bedrooms at that price point. So I think that if there is a definite argument about having a mansion tax, like if you make it two percent, even two and a half percent above five million dollars, I'm okay with that. Because if you have that kind of money, if you're spending those prices and buying what I would call close to a mansion in New York City, then let's talk about a mansion tax. But to try to artificially depress prices below an arbitrary line of 1.75 million, I mean, what are you doing? You know what I mean? It's like, ultimately, this is what fuels money, like real estate fuels so much money into the city and into the state. Like, let's be smart about how we go about collecting it.
1: But what is it going to do? With, let, let's seriously think about. Let's break this down a minute. What is it really going to do as to us as brokers? I mean, are we really going to have this conversation with sellers? You know, who say, "Well, you know, I I need to get one point nine for my apartment, but I'm afraid I'm not going to have any buyers." Or if I keep it just at one, you know, seven. I mean really I mean, seriously, how are we gonna I, address the those reality, concerns? Yeah, the yeah, I don't think it's is, gonna um, really I mean that's yeah, the thing. It's I, know, not I, know, I know I know I know I know we yeah, right.
5: Like yeah. I know our you got know, everyone's kinda scare Agreed. the politicians into not doing it because I know we it is probably like come on like, guys, really you have to do this. But the truth is, is it really gonna affect values? Are people not gonna well it will affect values a little well. bit. But will sellers, you know, not really be able to price at one nine? No, they're still gonna price at one nine, I think. I mean, I really think if something's yeah. worth it. I think one what's nine, gonna happen gonna is is it,
4: there's going to be a shift in there's one more negotiation point on the table right. where the seller's gonna have to make a concession to pay half the mansion tax. Like it's right. gonna be another line item. But here's the bigger important piece of the picture which is just yesterday, um, you know, driving back from an event, I was talking to a friend and uh, this person saying, well, I mean, I don't understand why do people buy – you know, why would somebody buy real estate in New York City at, you know, at one point five million dollars instead of buying three or four homes outside of the city where they're not paying as much in taxes, where they're not paying as much in this and then just invest their money out there? And I think that's the important conversation. At what point? I mean, our maintenance fees are so high in this city because of, you know, because of um, uh, you, what do you call them? Um, organized. uh I can't think of the word right now, but, uh, but, but, you know, it's like our our fees are so high, our taxes are already so high on monthlies, right? Then there's purchase taxes, then there's closing fees. So there's so many fees that add up and a smart investor is going to sit down and look at all of those numbers and say, does it make sense for me to be investing in this market or somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And really it's like, you're out, you're going to price out, smart investors.
1: I mean, I was at uh, 53 West 53rd Street over the weekend on Sunday. Brand new development just opened mid last week. Mm-hmm. You know, buyers there are not, I mean, they, they, we're talking $3,000 to $4,000 a square foot. So buyers there aren't necessarily going to be concerned about $1.75 million or an increase in mansion tax because they're just going to be purchasing these apartments anyway. And the one I was talking uh, to a buyer about is nine point five something or other. At the end of the day, <clears throat> Those people can fuel you know the the um, the mayor 's you know desire to bring more money into the city via taxes. However, I still have to go back to the little guys. The little guys being, you know, people yeah. spending two, three million dollars, you know, on apartments. I mean, exactly. these are the that's guys
6: who—that's
1: bread and butter. Unfortunately, <laughs> you laugh, Phil, but it's the truth. Those poor <laughs> it's souls. Those, yeah. those poor souls spending, souls spending two and three million dollars. But this is what is missing here in town. So, yeah. I, I'm I'm curious to see and how that's going to. Not
4: only that, happen. but there's flip taxes, right? And I've had well, I've had all buyers. Kinds of taxes. Yeah, I've had yeah. buyers who've sat there and said, "You know what? Why?" I, th- Recently, I ran into a flip tax on a condo. That was put onto the buyer, Mm -hmm. which is, if that is the case, a seller's broker needs to be disclosing that because that is not normal. Correct. And that to come up after offer is accepted. Oh, by the way, there's 3% full tax. (laughs) I mean these things three percent. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And so yeah. it really starts it starts
2: chipping away at what makes sense for people to purchase. I think the answer also comes down to what market we're in. So the answer to this is going to change in a different market. And right now the mansion tax being at a million, mm-hmm. you find everyone pricing it at nine seventy five. Well and it goes over. Right. Right. It goes over a million anyway. And so in theory, if this does happen and it's one seven five, everyone's going to price it at one seven five and it's going to go up.
1: You've sold new development like I have. And yep. I remember many times in the sales office, people would come in with their brokers and, and whatever, or you'd get a phone call from their attorneys and they tried to keep the prices mm-hmm. under a million dollars in, in with all kinds of gyrations. Yeah. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So, you know, back to this $1.75 million scenario, you know, it's I don't think it's going to break the world here, but it's certainly going to have an impact. Act. And uh, I I'm curious I, to see what's going I happen. think for values that are
5: around 175, that's where it's going to mm-hmm. be an issue. Just like for values that are around a million,
1: that's mm-hmm. where it's an issue. Exactly. With the so, you know, st- if something's worth
5: 2.2 million, it's just not it going to really exactly. I- affect it. You know? I
1: totally agree with that. Right. Moving on, here's another one for Ivy Ray. Okay, musicians <laughs> and neighbors alike rallied against the music they say has gotten too loud in Washington Square Park down in the village. So Community Board 2 has been thinking – up noise control methods after hearing complaints that sounds have gotten excessive. There's always been music in the park, but now the intensity, the degree, and the length of music makes it very, very difficult to live there, said a resident of 40 years. Poor thing. People are trying to sell their apartments to get away from the noise. At a packed CB2 meeting this week, residents Uh, said noise has become more problematic for a few reasons what can be done about this and should anything be done about this i mean it's washington square park for god's sakes i think they should buy city windows (laughs) that's actually not a
3: bad idea rachel
4: but you know anybody who has outdoor space (laughs) over (laughs) there (laughs) though i have to say i live right by washington square park and i like i like just going and hanging out there and it really is like you can't hear yourself think in that park anymore because, and it's not just musicians. It's that there's one musician trying to, you know, outdo drown out outdo yeah. out mm-hmm. the other guy, and so it sounds like a cacophony versus like music. Well, that's what I, I wanted to so, ask. Yeah.
1: It's it's more about it's more about being in the park or walking through the park or the surrounding areas of the park than being home in your apartments yeah. up there because you can close your windows. Yeah. But I also recently just walked through the park and it was kind of booming and I thought, well, you know, this is a little much.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
4: But yeah. what do
1: you do about that? I mean, can you control this?
4: I mean, I guess maybe if there's permits of, you know, if you are going to perform, Certain hours. yeah, then then there's at least allotments of Who's performing there and what time?
1: I just get concerned and maybe you all feel the same. But, you know, when you try to regulate things outside in our parks, you know, we don't live in the country. We don't have our own private backyards, you know. We have to follow the rules and regulations of buildings that we live in, in in New York City. But when you start saying you can do and not do stuff in parks outside, it's really – it, it kind of gets me crazy. Because I hear you. This is what people want to do. <laughs> but with that said, I do I do kind of sympathize with the, the, the people who say the noise I mean, is a little loud because you know, in this park it square is. Square
4: South at the Tiffany Building at One Irving Place, I've consistently <laughs> – not, I mean, the Tiffany building was a different reason, but a few of these buildings around uh, even Union Square Park, I've actually not been able to sell apartments that my buyers loved because they could hear the ridiculous amount of noise from Union Square. And they decided to go against wanting to buy there. So I mean, mm. it does. That's
3: ev- very interesting to hear.
4: It does affect yeah, maybe, people's decisions because we don't want to hear that noise in our apartment.
3: Maybe the money from the mansion tax that we get, we can <laughs> we can pay for the police to regulate these these types of situations <laughs> or in the park. City,
2: <laughs>
4: vi-
1: city windows. Right? I don't know if I want the Full police. Yeah, yeah, I like it. it. I like it. Yeah, like that? Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Moving on, rental scams. In retrospect, they always seem obvious, and yet. They happen time and time again. We often dismiss the scam as naive, but the truth is that we can – the truth is that it can happen to anyone if you're not careful. The city's growing population combined with limited affordability, uh, affordable rental options means that finding a home in the city, whether for just a few days or a few years, has never been so treacherous. How can we avoid these scams? And by the way, you know, you guys who do a lot more rentals than I do, why is it so difficult to rent an apartment in this town? And and then have to deal with some of the scams and some of the, the unethical um, broker uh, types out there. What's with these scams?
5: Well, the scams come into play very uh, – I think well, the scams come into play because it is so difficult to rent. And so people are always looking for like a deal. Oh my gosh, I got this great yeah. deal. Um, I do think that there is a case to be made that because of all the rent-stabilized apartments in the city, there's over a million, that they suppress the price and um, – well – they suppress the price for those ones, obviously, and then inflate, inflate the price on all the other units, um, and that's also why the vacancy rate is so unbelievably low in New York City. Um, but in terms of scams, so so yeah, I guess you know there's many many scams. Uh, people sometimes ask me like, well, what's the most common scam? Like, how do I how do I avoid it? And it's usually the fake listing, the fake listing scam, where yeah, there's like bait and switch. Bait yeah, switch. Yeah, it's it's like classic. Switch. It's, it's some. <laughs> well, let's listing. talk about that. Because well, there's that's a bait su- well, there's a bait and switch, which is the scam, but eventually is like not a scam. In other words, like a bait and switch is where like it's a fake apartment, and then the broker is really trying to get the lead. You know, you call the broker, and then he shows you something else. That I guess is a scam, but I don't know. I think Vince, you're talking about like the real scams where they take your money money and run and like you're out, say, $5,000. It's all of the above, but it's more that. Yeah. Yeah, So those ones, the the main one there is the fake listing where it's literally a fake listing. They take pictures from a beautiful sale listing that's worth $2 million. They put it on like a $2,000 rental. And I've had this happen to some of my $2 million sales where someone, some broker says, hey, Phil, uh, some guy on the internet is taking your pictures and putting them on this $2,000 rental. And what they do Mm -hmm. is they get people from mostly out of town that don't know the city, don't know what things go for. They're used to price points in other parts of the country, and they see this amazing apartment for $2,000, and they call this person who turns out to be uh, someone that's the quote-unquote property manager for the owner. And they say, yeah, as you know, things go really quickly in Manhattan. You have to leave a deposit. Um, and then they just give you like their routing number and then you leave a deposit for this person. You never see the apartment and you think you have to do this because it's so hard to get an apartment in the city and you've lost five other apartments. And so you do it out of desperation and then your money's gone and the apartment never existed.
1: And it's really sad. (laughs) You would are you going to sing for us? It looks like you're gonna burst into song. <laughs> Niall has the microphone out of the spot and, and in his hand. There you go.
3: Yeah, I was trying to edit, you know, edit it towards my my mouth so I can get a so I could so I could speak on the topic, and it popped out. So I've just been holding the mic,
6: um,
3: in the <laughs> it studio like right burst now. Into we would Thanks.
4: not mind being serenaded. <laughs> so I was gonna break
3: out in singing, but I'm not trying to scam you guys on how good I am at singing. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I think another good thing is to hire a good broker. You know, my right. number, for example, is nine one seven. No, I'm just. I'm just joking. But I think for what Phil said is, is, is really accurate and true. And I think, you know, from what I've seen from, you know, when I started in the business, I thought there was a lot more scams when I started in the business. I think with Craigslist and everything like that, and as the the, the the rental market has moved away from Craigslist and more to exclusive listings on Street Easy, that has um, kind of leveled the playing field in terms of, you know, scams being out there left and right. But it's it's really important to you know if you want to protect yourself, work with a you know trusted broker like Rachel says who has a good reputation. You know just do that and it's completely worth the value.
2: I had a uh, to end this uh, show on a positive note. I had a lease signing yesterday. It was the highlight of my day. I swear it was so. It was this couple getting married, and I got the owner to pay the fee, the one month fee, and they literally signed the leases and they said, "What other fees are there?" And I said, "Nothing." They were in complete disbelief. This is too good to be true. And I thought that was so interesting because I've never had that in 14 years where someone is kind of like, what's the scam? What's going on? And it was a nice feeling. Well, Because
1: I think most people don't trust rental agents. I hate to say that, but they just really don't. I mean, it's got such a reputation in this town that, you know, and and to your point, Niall, and also Phil, you know, just pick the right – The right agent. But, you know, when you're looking on the Internet and you're looking at these wonderful pictures and sometimes floor plans and price points, whatever.
4: No broker fee.
1: No broker fee. And then you call this person. You have no idea who's on the other end of that and who's going to be advising you correctly or incorrectly. It really is a nightmare. Anyway, we do have to take one last break. We will come right back after these messages. So don't go away.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit bluerealtygroup.com. That's B-L-U Realtygroup.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at Blurealtygroup.com Now, back to the show.
1: All right, we're back, everybody, and I just wanted to point out before we continue our conversation that tomorrow evening from 5 to 7 is the Real Estate Master Series sponsored by the Real Estate Board of New York and EverBank. It will be moderated by Jeff Appel, and we have Dorothy Adati Herman, uh, Sean Osher, Fred Peters, Diane Ramirez, Leonard Steinberg – Uh, Elizabeth Stribling and Hull Wilkie, all top um, leaders in our field here in New York, uh, top uh, broker firms. So if you can do it, it is the Rebney-sponsored Real Estate Master Series, moderated by Jeff Appel. It's tomorrow evening from 5 to 7. Yes, I will be there as well. Uh, It's always good information. All right, let's talk quickly about Tribeca. So, you know, the neighborhood is in Lower Manhattan in New York City, and it's really considered the triangle, you know, below Canal Street for those out there in in, um, foreign lands who don't understand our geography. It's bounded by Canal Street, West Street, Broadway, and either Chambers or VC Streets. The neighborhood is home to the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, By many, Tribeca could be considered the best place to live in the city. It enjoys minuscule crime levels, great schools, tons of transit, well-planned waterfront access and light-filled loft-type apartments in painstakingly rehabbed industrial buildings. But having already um, overtaken the Upper East Side as the city's richest neighborhood – It's prohibitively expensive and any trace of racial and income diversity are long gone. So, you know, my question to everybody is what's with Tribeca? I mean, I happen to love it. PS234. PS234. That's what,
4: what did it? it. That's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep.
1: Large-size apartments, family-sized apartments yep. where you couldn't get the space uptown. I mean, all mm-hmm. of the above. But do, do you, does anybody, you know, when you're working with buyers out there, does anybody consider it just a little too far south in the city? Yes. Some parts. Yeah.
4: Some parts also. Yeah. Like, I mean, Tribeca is also a growing, sprawling mm-hmm. neighborhood, right? So, you know, if you look at the pocket of where, you know, like Greenwich Avenue and you know, like North Moore Street area, obviously it's beautiful, it's perfect. You know, but as you go further east sort of where, you know, it's sort of, it's still technically Tribeca, but the places that aren't really that residential looking even, um, you know, it does start feeling a little FIDA ish, you know, mm-hmm. financial district ish.
1: Yeah, and then that's uh, exactly. But, you know, I remember the days when I was working down on Wall Street and Tribeca as a neighborhood was just beginning to become something. And, you know, I thought to myself, why would anybody want to live here? There isn't a store that's convenient, there isn't a restaurant. There isn't a movie theater there isn't a grocery store it's there was windy. nothing.
4: The one thing and is it's, it's also really windy in Tribeca.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I live on West End Avenue so on, I get yeah. lots yeah. of wind yeah. anyway. Yeah. 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 We yeah. Ever you know, exactly.
6: yeah. It gets yeah. very windy
1: there, but it's a beautiful it has morphed into I think a, a magnificent hood and be, again, mm-hmm. be, you know, uh, sizes of apartments. Um, and the loft-like feels,
4: the high ceilings, yeah, think, the um, big windows. I think those are the things that are and amazing And you still find
1: a Tribeca. lot of first-generation lots down there, which mm-hmm. I really think are amazing Absolutely. there in Soho. Go I ahead, mean, would Mom. you guys
5: agree that one of the reasons I think why it became so popular is because people that want to live downtown, got a little older, have kids, want to raise a family, and they still want to be downtown, have maybe less options. But Tribeca mm-hmm. is great. And know? if you look great at the schools, history. schools, great, you know. So a lot of families – a lot of families live there.
4: The history is also, it was a trickle down from when Soho became unaffordable. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so historically speaking, like that's sort of why
2: it happens right there. And I know Rachel and I always share a brain. Rachel yeah. was about to say the same I thing. I did a development um, a long time ago before Whole Foods was there on wow. Warren Street. That's awesome. And people were moving in not because of the school, not mm-hmm. because of the light or views, mm. they were moving in because of the interior space, and the yeah. high ceilings, and yeah. the arch high windows. Ceiling. Yeah, because yeah, you're certainly not getting the views there. That's what attracts buyers there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Exactly. It's, it's, it's amazing. But um, I just love the whole landscape. Also, people move there, I think, for the anonymity of it all, because you can mm-hmm. live tucked away without doormen for the most part, without yes. any kind of pomp and ceremony. And there are a lot of celebrity types mm-hmm. uh, who do live down there mm-hmm. for all sorts of reasons. All right. So moving on, before you start knocking down walls, it pays to do some research. We're talking about renovations now, especially if you live here in New York City, where a renovation can be a confusing and complicated process. You know, mm-hmm. l- let's just, you know, peel it out. So, why is it so complicated to to renovate anything here in New York when you can renovate in the in the suburbs, you can renovate in another state and it's just, you know,
3: easier. What is the complication here in New York City? First, First, you have to understand what you're renovating. Right. <clears throat> are we renovating a townhouse? If so, we have to get permits from the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have all kinds of things checked from electric to plumbing, et cetera, because uh, one false move could be problematic for the whole you know, structure. Then you go, are we in a condo, which is generally a little bit easier than if you're in a co-op, but both do um, in most cases require uh, board approval. Um, so like in co-ops, for example, I think at the end of the day, uh, from my experience, and just, just to talk about like my micro experience, I mean, there's a collective experience here, but, you know, they're always a bit challenging and daunting at the beginning. You have to have the contractor's insurance. There's so many different documents and forms that need to be signed on. But I've always seen positive experiences with, with my buyers who buy and then they want to make renovations because at the end of the day, if somebody's increasing the value of an apartment, buying into a, a co-op and then increasing the value of that co-op, that collectively increases the value of all the shareholders' um, apartments as well. So um, if they're doing like good things to the apartment, and renovating the bathroom, putting a new kitchen in, like that stuff that is generally well received um, but i don't know if there's any other experiences from folks here that you know well i think it's also don't, directly don't
4: correlated to how much noise and disturbance it'll also create for the comfortability of the apartments around the apartment that's getting renovated many times too so it seems to be you know some sort of a you know it's not an exact formula or science but it seems that the the balance seems to fall somewhere you know where what do you want to do how long is it going to take how much disturbance is it going to cause the neighbors you know, and just as opposed to how much value.
3: And is the apartment next to the board president? Yeah, you know, exactly. I haven't sold any apartments well, that are next to the board yes. president, that's, for example. So if they hear that, they're like, no way. And they put the kibosh yeah, on. That's that another one. But- or
4: like when John Stewart complained for like six straight months on his show about the guy above him <laughs> who was renovating his apartment. I forgot about I that. I loved it. I mean, that was hilarious. The funny thing is we I actually... He was a, the guy who was upstairs was a friend of a friend's, so I actually knew who the guy was who was just getting slammed on inter, on national international TV <laughs> on a weekly basis. The but person yeah. who <laughs> lives above me,
1: you all heard me complain about this this person before. <laughs> it sounds like I'm in renovation sometimes, especially yes. at night when I'm trying to relax. But uh, you know, back to townhouses. Niall brings up a good point. I am. Selling a townhouse, hopefully, and uh, it needs to be one of these gut renovation things. It happens to be on a landmarked or historic street, mm-hmm. and so what what amazes me is I'm we're getting the the buyers getting quotes of up to a year before you get the approval from yep. landmarks, up to a year, mm-hmm. and then it could take you know eighteen months to two years to actually go through the renovation. So he's looking at me saying, "All right, so I buy a house, mm-hmm. I have to carry it for almost three years yeah. before we can move in with my family." You know, I look at him and I'm like, uh, "What do you say?" Yeah, I mean, but you it, know it's I've, insane. I've
4: been there, so I sold uh, this. My, I mean, this is the fav- my favorite thing that I've ever sold: 34 foot wide Greek Revival facade. But this house has two facades. It has an interior glass facade over 9,000 square feet, prime West Village mm-hmm. townhouse with a retractable roof in the <laughs> of, over the house, and it looks out perfectly to all these donut uh, gardens. I mean, it is just you couldn't create something more beautiful. And um, it was priced, this was like in 2007, it was priced at 19 million and needed like a new kitchen sink. I mean, the place just really needed a renovation and I ended up negotiating it down to right around 15 million, right below 15. And um, it took the owner a little over three and a half years, almost four years to get through all the permits to renovate everything, whatever. And about I, I think he probably put in about four million dollars, um, but now that place is worth like I, there's no price tag. To well, here's place. the I thing: mean, because if he were to sell it, I, I think I could sell it for eighty, ninety million easy. Well, so there's the upside of like. You know I mean not every story is going to be that much of a that lucrative, but this place is just insane i so.
1: that's well said, and I agree with that and and if you're talking about an investor who can park money into a three or four year project because in this particular yeah. case, you know if they spend. Uh, eight or nine, seven, eight or nine million dollars on a on a house that needs a complete renovation, puts in about three or four. We can sell it for probably sixteen or seventeen in the neighborhoods that we're yeah. talking about. So if you have the time, if you can park the money, it's uh, well worth it. And you get and to the build return,
4: exactly what
2: you want,
4: one
1: hundred percent. Every
4: like a every lot of, of the space is yours. A yeah. lot of the
2: savvy developers and investors out <clears throat> there that I work with are getting the permits. The day before they close, Mm -hmm. their team is ready to go. Absolutely. They want to go in and out in six months. Very (laughs) different than an an end user. That's how it is. All right.
1: We are out of time, unfortunately, yet again. That is Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, including Los Angeles, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.